And then he goes, all right, I'll represent you. Oh, wow. That was it. It was like straight up, like, you're not supposed to do it, did it. And then that kind of clicked with something in my head, like, oh, you know, you can kind of decide your own fate. And sometimes people will tell you not to do something, but I think kind of naturally kind of bending the rules, which is something I learned from my parents. You know, sometimes, you know, legally you're not supposed to enter a country, but if you get in, sometimes they just let you stay, you know? So that's what I did. You know, legally I'm not supposed to be here, but hey, they let me stay. So knock on a couple of doors, drop off your headshots. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to mail them. Who uses the mail anyway? I don't know how to mail anything. Welcome to Hyphenated, an Americanish podcast. My name is Adela Kochab, and I'm your Syrian-Lebanese, Mexican-Canadian, Jewish host. Growing up in the U.S., I always felt like I never fit into one category. And then I realized that in this melting pot of a country, no one really does. So on this show, I'm really excited to be joined by guests from hyphenated backgrounds to talk about their cultures, family histories, and what it really means to be a little bit Americanish. So welcome to Hyphenated. Welcome to Hyphenated. My name is Adela Kochab, and I'm your Syrian-Lebanese, Mexican-Jewish host. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by Mexican-American comedian, writer, and director, Brian Torres Day. Brian, how are you doing? Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, so when we start this podcast, I always say that when people ask me where I'm from, I ask how much time they have, because it's usually not an easy answer. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question I hate, which is, tell me, where are you from? <laughs> Yeah, um, pretty simple. I mean, I, it's definitely a lot more simpler than yours. Uh, just uh, my parents are originally from Chihuahua, Mexico, uh, particularly Ciudad Juarez, Arriba Juarez, you yes. know, I got to say that, uh, home of Juan Gabriel. So my parents just, you know, crossed the border um, in not the most uh, <laughs> legal of ways. And that was in the 70s. And ever since then, you know, me and three other brothers grew up in Texas, so that's pretty much it. Um, my parents now live in Mexico, which is weird. So they got their citizenship and then moved back, which I don't really get that. It's oh, almost like, uh, yeah, it's like a badge of honor. They're like, yeah, we can, but you know, we're not gonna do it. You know, so they moved back. So I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. That's where I'm from. So it's a very, uh, it's a very traditional kind of like northern Mexico kind of upbringing. Um, most uh, Mexicans that moved to Texas just kind of just stay there, and that's exactly what happened to me. And then uh, once I was old enough, I got out of Texas and moved to Los Angeles. So. Which I think is also a path a lot of them follow. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, that that's kind of where it happens. Like most Mexicans either move to L.A. or they move to Texas. So I kind of just, you know, took that into my own. Yeah into my own stride. You're like, I could totally do this. See, I, I, I wish I could take your parents' citizenship and keep it and make it my own. Like, times are so different. I've been here in 23 years and I don't even have a green card yet. And I'm just like, you know, I'll get there. Um, yeah, my mom's very proud of it. She tells everyone, like, uh, anytime, and it's so weird, like, if she complains about, like, she got in a fight with this guy at, at an oil change place, right? Because mm -hmm. she thought he was overcharging him. I'm like, mom, that's what oil costs. She's like, I don't need to take this. I'm an American citizen. I'm like, all right, <laughs> calm down, lady. You know? Like, hey, I would flex it too. When I get one, do you know the party I'm going to have dude i'm gonna have american flag cakes like I, i'm not allowed to get oh, tattoos because yeah. i'm jewish but like i'm gonna tattoo a flag onto my chest and oh yeah yeah next day. like i'm so excited to be american one day one day like when people say like what do you want to be when you grow up i just go american oh i like that that's very good that's very beauty pageant type yeah. of response i i practiced you know my whole entire, <laughs> life. My whole entire life you got the beauty pageant like sachet yeah, got, almost got, going on right yes, there too i like cape. that I'm a, I'm a fan of the capes we said it we said it earlier not yes, all exactly capes, some of them do um but yeah so, you know, I love talking to Mexican-Americans, especially people from Mexico that grew up in a different 
part of the U.S., number one, and number two, whose families come from different parts in mm-hmm. Mexico. So how do you describe the way that you grew up or your community to someone who just doesn't know about it? Yeah, um, all Mexicans that grew up in or that are from Texas or northern Mexico want to be John Wayne. Uh, that's pretty much <laughs> it. We all want to be cowboys. Uh, growing up, my dad, you know, his dream was to buy a ranch in mm-hmm. Texas, and that's exactly what he did. Beautiful. So we had horses. Uh, he would dress like a cowboy. I mean, you're wearing he a denim a truck. shirt. I, I mean, <laughs> I got the denim. I see, I have to represent it some way. If not, I'll be disowned, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. So it's totally different than like Mexicans that grow up in Los Angeles. Like... In Mech in Texas, we're called Tejanos, right? And then in LA, they're called Chicanos. Yeah. And it's a totally different culture. Like they wear Nike Cortezes, we wear, you know, Wrangler. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, we wear uh, uh, what's uh, we wear cowboy boots. Uh, you know, they wear backwards caps. We wear cowboy hats. You know, Love they that. drive lowriders. We drive lifted trucks. It's totally different, but. Basically, that's that's kind of it. Like, you know, they want to be more hip hop. We want to be more George Strait country, you know. So it's it's a real kind of different type of culture, um, which I love, you know, because it kind of keeps you, I guess, a little bit more grounded. Um, And it's also just it's just such a cohesive group. Um, And, you know, growing up, I grew up in a school that was like mostly just, you know, white kids. So the one thing we would bond over is just like country music Mm. and stuff like that. So I still listen to country music to this day, um, along with, you know, a lot of the other Mexican music that I grew up with. A lot of, uh, you know, Tejano, a lot of Corrido, a lot of Banda. So it's it's a different vibe. The accordion is the one thing I just hear ringing in my ear all the time. (laughs) Do you know that June is National Accordion Month? I'm not even making this up. Mm. June is National Accordion Month. Yeah, it's a fun fact. <laughs> no, no, I'm not even like you can Google this ever and go go home and Google this. June is National Accordion Month. Um, yeah, that's that's a fun fact. So right now we are we're entering the month of of the accordion. So it's a, it's a good it. time to listen to Tejanas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and to country music too. No, yeah. So that's that's kind of like the whole vibe growing up, especially like in San Antonio. Like the one thing I love about San Antonio is they really embrace like the Mexican culture. Yeah. Like it's just there's a thing that they do uh, once a year. It's called Fiesta Week where it's like just it's just an excuse to drink and Uh, get messed up and overeat. I know. And it's like might as well just do it. Right. Like we're going to do it. Let's just name it something. So that's what they did. Honestly, I embrace it too. And I I actually (laughs) I love it when people like party with Mexican culture. Like I went to Prague once and it happened to be over Cinco de Mayo and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's Prague. Like, we're in the Czech Republic. My brother was studying abroad there, and, like, my mom went to visit because she missed him because she's a Arab-Mexican-Jewish mom, and she just couldn't stay away from her son for more than three months. Um, so we go to visit my brother, and it's Cinco de Mayo, and we went to, like, this tiny Mexican restaurant in the middle of Prague, and, like, there's, like, sombreros everywhere. So, like, the typical things that you'd see in the U.S. for Cinco <laughs> de Mayo. And we walk in, and there's, like, these Mexican guys, and, like, we're sitting there with all these American kids studying abroad in Prague, and, like, my mom and I start talking to the waiters who are, like, straight from Mexico, and we're like, Whoa. how'd you end up here? Dude, that is awesome. <laughs> like, what did wow. they tell you? They're like, oh, I don't know. Like, we went to Europe, and then they started in London, and they moved around, and they ended up in Prague and they opened a Mexican restaurant and now they're the only Mexican restaurant in the Czech Republic. So that's pretty cool. I don't know that is the really only cool. one, but they, you know, they, they've got their Cinco de Mayo crew. Really and I li- by the way, I like that. And can, can we just say that? Like, I know a lot of times people like talk PC, like uh, cultural appropriation. Yeah. Mexicans are the one group 
really, that do not care. Is it appropriation or is it appreciation? I exactly. That's what I mean. And then it's just like, you know, like you you see people like celebrating Mexican culture. They're de- they're dancing. They're drinking. I'm like, that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, like let's not put a damper on this. You know, it's it's about having fun and enjoying the culture. And if it's done over a holiday that they don't really celebrate in Mexico, who cares? You know? I got invited to three different Cinco de Mayo themed Shabbat dinners here in Manhattan. <laughs> and they're like, hey, come to our Cinco de Mayo Shabbat. And I was like, oh, I'm actually going to be in Mexico for that. They're like, oh, so the authentic experience. And I'm like, no, with my it's like we're not doing anything. It's literally <laughs> just a Friday for me. Um, but yeah, so after you finished, you know, school in San Antonio, where'd you go? You went to LA. What I moved, I moved straight to LA just because I always um, wanted to work in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was a kid, like my mom um, put me into like theater and stuff, um, which is so weird, you know, because she's like, you know, this short little Mexican woman from South Juarez. But in her mind, she was like, I'm going to give my kids like all of the experiences I couldn't do when I was young. So like she would throw us into everything. She was like a very hands on type of mom. So like, you know, she would do like put us in karate, play us instrument. We all had to play an instrument. We all had to uh, do theater. And I'm the one who like really stuck with it. Like I actually really enjoyed it. So when I moved to L.A., I did the typical move like, oh, I'm just going to move to to be an actor. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was good. I had I had some success early on, but I felt like I was kind of missing something. I like making people laugh and I like to, you know, speak my mind a lot. So I started doing stand up comedy once I got there. And that was kind of like my life for like the next like eight years there. So I, you know, started performing at the clubs there, um, got in. I mean, it was it was a tough grind early on. And then I kind of found my rhythm and then just kind of kept doing it ever since. But yeah, that was it. It was just like, how can I get into the entertainment world? Because I knew in San Antonio, I'm like, it's there's not going to be really much anything here. You know, it's not like nowadays where like everything is remote and, you know, you can kind of work from wherever and create stuff online. Like back then it was like Facebook had just come out, yeah. you know, so nobody was going viral back then. You know, <laughs> like so, yeah, I moved to L.A. and man, it was like a real grind it was real tough first i want to say i think it's a mexican mom thing because when i first got to the u.s my mom was like my kids will be in everything (laughs) mainly for her it was cheerleading she wanted to have a football player son and a cheerleader daughter because that's what america was for my mom when she thought america she was like cheerleader daughter football player son that's what america is oh yeah yeah yep she put me in cheerleading she put my brother in football my brother was too fat so they made him (laughs) they would make him basically starve himself for weigh-ins and then like as soon as they would weigh him he would just start stuffing his face and i was doing my thing cheering and she made me do basketball and soccer and karate and i was also a theater kid there you did, go uh, theater for a while so yeah you know it's, it's just one of those things you know we come into the land of opportunity and we take those opportunities yeah it's exactly yeah. right and you know that was that's exactly what what my mom did and uh you know god bless her for it because it really does kind of help open up more avenues for you like yeah. she was very forward thinking my dad was very like old school he's just like yeah, just take them to school and come back. And as long as they're fed and they're not sick, then I'm doing my job, you know. But my mom was like, no, they need to do more, you know. So (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what she did. And it was good. So, yeah, when I moved to L.A., you know, I started, uh, you know, kind of jumping in and face first. And I took a very, like, hands-on approach. Like, Mm -hmm. when I first moved to L.A., I didn't know you weren't supposed to go to, like, agents' offices. Oh, I didn't know that either. Okay, cool. Good to know. Yeah, like... I'm taking notes. Yeah. So... I remember when I first moved to LA, it was such a crash course in just life because I was 19 years old. I moved at such a young age. 
Um, I didn't go to college and I was like, cause I knew what I wanted to do and all my friends were going to college and they kind of were miserable cause a lot of my friends were like musicians, actors, stuff like that in school. And I was like, I'm just going straight to LA. Like I'm going right into, you know, the, the, the shark's mouth, mm -hmm. you know? So I did. And when I first got there, I didn't know so many things. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get headshots right away very typical and then I'm like and then I'm gonna take it and then go to agency offices and drop them off personally wow. and I just got this list that you could buy at a bookstore that they used to call Samuel French it's not there anymore it might just be an online store now but you know used to go there and used to actors used to just hang out in there and like read books and you know it's all plays and screenplays. I feel plays like you're and telling stuff. the story to your children. Yeah. Like, well, we used to we used to read books and print lists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, so they used to sell this book called like the Agents Book, yeah. and it's just all the agents in LA, and you would go in there, and this is before this was done online, and you would just highlight agents, and agents would poet like, hey, we're looking for you know uh, an older African American woman, or we're looking for young Hispanic, we're looking for you know uh, seniors actors. Right? This is like the only industry where it's okay to write any of those things yeah true it's the one group where it's the one industry that's quote unquote the most open-minded but it's also the one that could fire you for oh, being yeah. the wrong race oh yeah 100 percent. 100 you know when i grew up I, I went to acting and modeling school for two years and i was doing well and you know i'm like 14 years old and like i'm like how am i doing and they're like honestly like great but you'll book more if you drop to a regular weight class and i didn't know i was plus sized and um i was like if i what they're like well you're overweight and i was like ah okay and that's when i realized it doesn't matter how good you are at it if you're not fitting what they're looking for probably isn't going to work. So oh, yeah. I didn't want to be in an industry where you could be the best at it, but still not quite get it. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think it's changed now. It's yeah. Changed. It's obviously, it's a little sad. Um, but, you know, but that's showbiz baby. It's, it's show business <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's like people want to see like a heightened version on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, um, you know, when people were getting mad at Robert Pattinson because he says he didn't want to work out for the Batman movie. And then the first people were like, you don't take it serious. And I'm like, just let him be. He did a great job, you know, but uh, yeah, it's definitely like that. And so that's exactly what I did. I found all the ones that were looking for Hispanic actors. And then I used to just go to their agents and then I would like hit the buzzer and they're like, what are you here to do? I'm like, oh, I'm an actor. I'm here to drop, drop off my headshots. They're like, you have to mail it in. Don't come here. Ooh. And then one time I walk into this place and sure enough, I ring the doorbell and they go, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm a young actor. I just moved here from Texas. I'm here to drop off my headshot. And they were like, give me one minute. And I just waited there. And then all of a sudden they just buzzed me in. So I walk in and then this secretary is there and she was like, can I just tell you something? I was like, yeah, she was like, you're not supposed to do this. And I'm like, why? I mean, I'm one of, I wanted an agent and uh, I'm just here to drop it off. They're like, you're supposed to mail stuff. And then sure enough, the agent walks by and they're like, who are you here to see? And I'm like, I'm just here to drop it off. And he goes, oh, uh, come into my office. I have a few minutes. So I met with this agent and he was just like this older Hispanic dude. And he was like, this is pretty ballsy. Yeah. I was like, it is. I'm just <laughs> dropping this off. Like, he's like, no, no, I appreciate that. Uh, what's your experience? So I just told him, you know, like I did a little theater. I did like some local commercials in Texas. And then he goes, all right, I'll represent you. Oh, wow. That was it. It was like straight up like you're not supposed to do it. Did it. And then that kind of clicked with something in my head like, oh, you know, yeah. you can kind of decide your own fate. And sometimes people will tell you not to do something. But I think kind of naturally kind of bending the rules, which is 
something I learned from my parents, you know, sometimes, you know, legally you're not supposed to enter a country, but if you get in, sometimes they just let you stay, you know? So that's what I did, you know, legally I'm not supposed to be here, but hey, they let me stay. So knock on a couple of doors, drop off your headshot. <laughs> you're supposed to mail them. Who uses the mail anyway? I don't know how to mail anything. Exactly. So that was, that was definitely, um, my first kind of that was my first month in LA that happened. Wow. So it was like a real thing. And then um, I remember going to my acting class and every, I told the story to uh, one of my acting, uh, like, you know, the other student there. And uh, he was like, dude, I've been here for three years. I haven't been able to get an agent. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you want me to say, man. I'm sorry. Um, I love that. Wait, so when you first came to LA and you, you know, you started in the stand up game, you got your agent, which you literally like, you, you, like took it like you took an agent i mean i i I've, if he didn't sign me i would have vandalized his car is pretty much what happened so <laughs> i love that i love it for you so when you first started doing stand-up in la like what what was like your bit what was your shtick oh my gosh so starting off as a stand-up comedian is probably one of the hardest things for anyone to watch mm. um when you go to a stand-up show i don't know if you've ever been to a stand-up show time. okay so you go right there's always people who are really good and you're like, wow. And then if you have see a comedian that's younger, you can almost tell within the first minute. And because a minute is an eternity yep. on stage. So when I started off doing stand up, um, I watched it a lot. I watched it a lot as a kid. Um, I used to go back and watch like the Eddie Murphy stand up. So like my dad had the the VHS of the Eddie Murphy Raw. Mm. And um, he never watched it, which is weird. I'm like, why is this here? So I just watched it and I was just laughing because he was doing these big act outs and doing the voice and the goonie goo goo. And honestly, I don't know. So it was something that just intrigued me that this person can just, you know, perform on stage speaking into a microphone, which I thought was insane, you know. And then um, I was like, oh, that kind of planted a seed in me. So when I was in L.A., I, I watched this documentary that uh, Vince Vaughn produced, um, which is called the uh, Vince Vaughn's Wild West Comedy Tour. Okay. And it's not something that was like really public. It was like this movie that came out and then people just forgot about it. But there was like young comedians and he took them on tour with him. And this was like the height of Vince Vaughn when, you know, he did Wedding Crashers and all that. And they followed these comics and I just saw like, oh, these guys, they're just, you know, not known but they're performing and they're killing and they're making people laugh and it just kind of made it more accessible it wasn't like this big superstar like yeah. eddie murphy it was just regular guys doing it so i kind of listened to what they were saying the interviews and one of them said something about an open mic i was like oh what's an open mic i researched it i just went on google and it turns out that an open mic is something that you can just sign your name and people will put you on stage like karaoke. yeah like exactly like karaoke so I found this like little pizzeria that I live next to in LA and uh, this was in the Valley. It was actually in Granada Hills and they used to do an open mic night like Thursday nights. So first time I went, I just watched. I wanted to watch everyone just to kind of see what the vibe was like, the feel of it. And then like every person who's ever done stand up comedy, you watch like two people and you're like, I can do that, you know. Um, so you go, OK, you could do it. And now it's time you do it. So. That's exactly what I did. I wrote some material down. I wrote some jokes. Went on stage. First time I went on stage, actually did pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Good. It was good. I got some laughs, and it was enough to sustain me. And I was like, did the same thing that everyone does when they go on stage for the first time. 
you don't act like yourself. You act like what you think a comedian would act like. Yeah. So that's exactly what I did. I was like overly animated. I look back and I'm like, that's horrible. <laughs> it's so hard to watch that. Um, but yeah, so that's exactly what I did. And then uh, the second time I was after I did that, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I can do it. It's easy. You know, I'll have a stand up comedy special on HBO in a year, you know. <laughs> and I, then I it's called Max now. Exactly. Max. <laughs> yeah, I want a special on Max. Um, by the way, that sounds like a tampon brand. It's it? terrible. It's I, the I worst don't like name. I'm so glad they're getting roasted for that. Yeah, it's one of the worst marketing. It's, it's not a good move. <laughs> yeah, it's like find me on Max. You're like, that's I'm not jumping on another mm. social media. Yeah, you know? No. <laughs> like I'm already on TikTok. That's enough. Um Tampons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible name. So the next time I did it, I went on stage again. And this time, all of the jokes that I thought were going to get a big laugh. And I went on like very confident. I was like, oh, yeah, I already know what I'm going to get him with. And I'm going to open with this. And I'm going to riff on the host. And I open up by like doing a quick joke, making fun of the host of the open mic. Mm. And little did I know, like all of the comedians in the audience, because you're just performing for other comedians, which is yeah. terrible. They were all his friends. Oh, no. And then I was this new guy. And I'm like, hey, blah, 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 make fun of him. And then they're all like, nah, dude, we're not with you on that. Oh, no. <laughs> so it just him. literally teetered down. And then all of my jokes bombed. And I just remember walking back to my car. And I just sat in my car. And I'm like, all right, that's, uh, that's stand-up comedy. It's a learning experience. It's learning, falling, getting up. And yeah getting getting better and better each time so that was kind of my first time starting out and then I just kept doing it ever since and then you know within a couple of years I was like already featuring on the road for, with a couple of comedians and then yeah that that was kind of it. it it also started me to write a lot I used to write all my own material I still do but it was one thing that like also showed me that I could be creative on my own I didn't have to read a script I can write a script you know oh yeah Ooh, i like that capital <laughs> w write a script yes yes <laughs> so after you know starting up in stand-up comedy you get your agent in la and then you started working on some phenomenal projects do you want to walk us through what you're working on and why yeah so this was actually kind of cool because it kind of spawned from the pandemic mm. you know like i think the pandemic was a good like reshaking of everyone who's in the creative world to like rethink certain things and you know i had friends that really fell off like it really messed with their mind and for me i was just like now's the time to work on all the stuff that i've kept putting aside for a while you know so it was like the etch-a-sketch you just reshake it and start drawing again and that's when i started to write out script ideas that i've had for a long time and I took in like one screenwriting class, so I knew kind of how to actually lay it out. I read a lot of scripts and I was like, I just want to write like a story, you know, and I want to write stories that I would like to see on TV or like I would like to see in a movie. Stuff that was something that, you know, came from my point of view, just like my stand up, you know, and the one thing that helped me with stand up was I had a lot of comedians that I admired that were friends of mine that would kind of compliment me on my like writing and my stand-up and they're like hey man you you got a good you know you got a good voice like you got a good that joke the way it goes and it flows and everything so that kind of gave me a little confidence 
to be able to like, let me see if I can translate this to characters and a story and a setting and, you know, be able to bring people in. So during the pandemic, that's exactly what I did. I just like kind of got into like a fever like of just like writing fever. Like I just would I get up. Say, fever is not a good call. When you're <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. COVID-19. Like, oh, no, you got a fever at the pandemic. <laughs> I got this fever. Uh, <laughs> you got the better of the fevers. Yeah, exactly. It was this one. This one still hasn't been cured yet, which is good. Um, so I just started writing and um, I was getting up early and I was writing for like three or four hours every day. And I wrote like a couple of scripts and I would send them to friends and friends would be like, yeah, dude, this is maybe a little rough. And it's like, that's fine. You know, it's like not everything's going to work. So I just kept doing that. And then I finally ended up writing um, this like 45 page pilot that I wanted to write for a long time, which was really inspired by like my parents upbringing. So when my parents came to the U.S., you know, they came here as undocumented immigrants. And one of the first jobs my dad ever had was to work at a motel. And he used to tell me all these stories about working in this motel. So he worked at a motel uh, on in El Paso, Texas, um, in a very seedy part of town, which, you know, is right on the border of Juarez. So you could just imagine the kind of people I would go in there. Right. And he would have to rent room. Like, this was the type of motel where people rent it by the hour. Okay. So you can just imagine Oof. what's there. Yeah. Yeah. He would tell me, like, you know, there would be hookers. There would be pimps. There would be drug addicts. But he was working at this motel and he was only 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So he would tell me that, you know, he would be kind of running this motel for like this older, rich white guy that hired him. And the way the guy hired him was that he just saw him walking down the street and he was just like, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, hey, if you want, I can offer you a job mm. cleaning up and taking care of this motel. Like white Lotus, but I guess like it's, it's brown Lotus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Mexican Lotus. And uh, <laughs> so... My dad started telling me these stories about like how he would have to kick people out and he had to carry a gun on him. And oh I'm like, all of this for a 17 year old. This sounds crazy. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Meanwhile, so you're like doing theater in, in <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just like <laughs> singing like Oklahoma on stage, right? <laughs> like, um, yeah, so this was like such a, you know, different upbringing. I was like, oh, this would be such an interesting story. Like, yeah. to have like the cultural context come into it. And then while, you know, my parents were, you know, teenagers, my dad worked there and then they had this thing where like um, they ended up, you know, legalizing a lot of undocumented immigrants through like the uh, through the amnesty law that Reagan passed. So it like gave a lot of them a big opportunity to become residents, you know, so that was one thing I was like, oh, what if I tell this story in this setting, in this time set in a border town? with like that Tejano culture into it. And I ended up writing this pilot um, and I called it Legalized. Wow. Yeah. And this was three years ago, three and a half years ago at this point. And I remember I sent it to some friends and I sent it to a friend of mine who was actually a pretty accomplished TV writer. He's, he's, won, he's won a couple Emmys. Um, and I really trusted his opinion on stuff. And I sent it to him and he just replied back. He's like, dude, this is honestly like one of the best pilots I've ever read. Wow. And he's like, and it's such like unique characters, circumstances, everything. He's like, you just don't see that. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm on to something, you know. And I remember I had sent it to a couple people that were interested. I ended up sending it to some producers and stuff. And they were like, yeah, we like it. We like the story and everything. But you know, 
we just don't know like how this would fit anywhere. And in my opinion, I'm like, you know, put it on TV. You know, like every every writer is like, just yeah. put it on TV. An audience will find it. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Mm. The way it works is they want you to kind of create stuff that people have seen already. Yeah. And they're always that's what they ask you. What would you compare this to? What's this vibe like? And, you know, most time like, oh, it's like, you know, shameless meets, you know, Breaking Bad or it's, you know, like Frasier, you know, meets, you know, the George Lopez show. Like they want really like yeah. easy, comparable stuff because marketing wise they are like, oh, that's what we'll do. And I, I get it, you know, because I've produced stuff. So it, it is kind of like you want that. But sometimes the audience doesn't know what they want. You know, and then if you read the how like the show Breaking Bad started, it's like, OK, so a school teacher starts selling meth like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there was no audience yeah. for that. And how would you compare that to anything? But they took a chance on it. Right. So in my mind, I was like, I I'm going to make this whether somebody buys it or not. Like, I'm going to just do everything I can to make it because I feel like it's important. And I shopped it around for about a year, got some interest in it got some offers but it was like very small and i'm like ah. and also they don't guarantee that they make it sometimes they'll just buy a script off of you and then they'll never I, make it yeah and i'm like that would devastate me yeah. if somebody bought it and they never made it you know so after a while i was like you know what i'm gonna i want to make this and i'm gonna figure out a way to make it and sure enough that's exactly what i started to do and i took the original script and condensed it down into a shorter story and last year in August, we entered pre-production for it amazing. and we ended up getting money for it and we ended up getting an amazing cast for it. And then in December, we actually shot it in El Paso, Texas Wow! Um, this past year. So right now we're currently in post-production for it and it's going to be coming out. Um, it'll be done by June, the end of June. So in a couple weeks and it's literally, you know three and a half years worth of work to, to get it to where it is now. So it's called Legalized. Um, we got some amazing actors in it. We got Manny Rubio, who was in Stranger Things. He's actually from El Paso, native. So I wanted to get like real actors that are from it. We got Richard Villa in it, who's an amazing comedian from Mexico. Um, and we got an amazing actress. Her name's uh, Jackie Guillen. She was in uh, Orange is the New Black and everything. And she's Mexican-American from a border town. So I wanted to get real authentic yeah. cast members um, to tell this story. And uh, I'm really happy with where it's coming together. And it's, you know, we're hoping to premiere it at South by Southwest by next year. That's number one. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Number two, okay. what a great story. And it's a story that needs to be told. Number three, where can people find it? So right now, um, it's currently not released yet. No, no, I know right now it's not released. Yeah. But once it, after the South by Southwest event, mm -hmm. where can I watch this? So once we produce... We shall see. Yes, yes. <laughs> once we produce it and everything, we are definitely going to find a, a, a solid distributor for it. And once we'll do that, I'll, I'll announce it. But you guys can follow everything. And you guys can do it all through my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um which is at BTD jokes. And I also have an official Instagram for the film. So just follow that. And, you know, we'll put the plugs in and later, but yeah, this story is something that it, it was really hard to do, but we ended up doing it and we actually shot. And it was so cool because I got my grandfather um, who, on my mom's side to be in the film. I oh, gave him wow. like a little cameo. He's 92 <laughs> years old, this old Mexicano, you know, from Juarez. And we actually shot in um, this old park, of El Paso called Alameda 
which is just like historic. It's just old. It's been there since like the 1800s. And we actually ended up filming at this old motel that's been there since like the 40s, um, which was great. It's beautiful. It's called the Del Norte. And we really want to thank the owner because he was so awesome with us shooting there. And he was so cool. He even gave us a bottle of tequila, which is so cool. That's also like the best gift. There we go. Yeah, very Mexican, which is good. Hey, man, thanks for shooting your film here. Here's a bottle of tequila. I'm like, fuck, dude, I'll shoot here more often. Why not? You know? I'll shoot there. Yeah. And then, uh, (laughs) exactly. We'll do the podcast from there next time. WTF opens a location. And then we actually shot at this old diner um, called Hymas Hut, which is a very legendary spot in El Paso. And my grandfather, when he was there, he was like, oh, I've been to this diner before. Wow. And when we shot at the motel, he was like, I rem- he's like, I, I remember staying there when I first came to the U.S. I had to spend a night somewhere and I spent the night at that motel. So it was like it was like it all was kind of coming together and there was such a like, you know, my whole family was kind of tied to this place. El Paso is like very near and dear to my heart. A lot of, you know, that's where my parents first got their start. And that's where a lot of family still lives there. And it was so cool just to kind of like actually film something and kind of bring a story to life that's centered around this town. Plus, I think that's also the moment like that your your family who, you know, took a very big risk in Mm -hmm. coming to the U.S., like telling the story is is giving them credence, you know, giving them this weight. Oh yeah. But also, um, everything paid off. Like all those opportunities, all those, you know, theater and instrument and, you know, all of that makes sense now. And and, you know, having your grandpa at that diner and having him in the movie too. I just I don't know, honestly, or I guess like it, it's a film, we're calling it. Yeah, yeah, film. it's a film. It's okay. a film. Yeah. Film. yeah. Okay. Film. I feel so, <laughs> I feel so con when I say film, but no, I, I really it, it, it brings everything together. So I'm I'm very proud of you. We're gonna plug all of that as soon as it comes out too. We'll make sure to promote it across all of the Americanish socials. So make oh, sure that you're you. following Brian. Make sure that you're following his new film. Make sure that you're also following Americanish. So we're gonna get all of yes. that in there. And I'm gonna do a little bit of a shift please, because please, I introduced you as a Mexican American writer, director, comedian, right? Yeah. But what I didn't tell people and what we get to talk about now. Is that you're married to an Ashkenaz Jew? Yeah. <laughs> so you're Jewish adjacent. I'm very much within the blue circle as well as you know. Yeah. I mean? um, so how did that how did that happen? Like this wonderful, yes. amazing story, legalized all of these like stories of a Mexican American family. I love that. And then you marry an Ashkenazi Jew. So yeah. how did that happen? Well, you know, it's the American dream, and. Um, <laughs> You know, I wanted to move into business class, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's the upgrade. Uh, no, so yeah, my my wife is uh, Jewish. She's Ashkenazi Jewish, um, which was I you know it's a culture that I really had no real connection to prior to meeting her. So it was a very just out of the blue chance that we ended up meeting. It was literally the most out of whack place because we ended up meeting on tinder oh look at that <laughs> exactly the great unifier yes uh and this is like tinder going back to like 2013 14 you know so this was like before like hinge and like yeah. all that. this was like the original right it was the genesis of a lot of online misery for people <laughs> for i found happiness but you know most people are miserable so it was great. Um, my wife, we just met on on Tinder. We ended up kind of just having an amazing first date. We, you know, kept seeing each other. And, you know, she told me, she was like, you know, you're Jewish or she's Jewish, you know, and I'm Christian. And it was just this weird kind of, 
connection that you know we just had and i started learning more about the culture and she started getting more into it you know and it's it's one of those things that i've learned is that certain Jew Jewish Americans, like a lot of times in their early 20s, they kind of pretend like the it's not really, thing. yeah, yeah. It, they kind of pretend like it's not a big part of their culture. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that's what I'm, I'm born into Judaism. I'm but culturally Jewish. Exactly. Jewish. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then as we started, you know, getting married and getting old, all of a sudden I just see her like embracing it more and really kind of taking the steps to like really make it part of her day-to-day -day life and I was with her every step of the way like I thought it was amazing um and just kind of partaking in my first you know Hanukkah partaking in my first Shabbat and you know going to temple with her going to the synagogue and it was such a cool experience just to go and then everybody being like very welcoming mm. and you know when we moved to New York together that was the big thing. She's like, you know, we got to find the right synagogue and everything. So, you know, we kept going to different ones, you know, on Friday nights. And then we ended up finding one in Park Slope. And um, it was so welcoming. I just remember going there and really kind of just seeing like people unify together. And the one thing I love about Jewish culture, it has a lot of parallels with like Mexican culture, yeah, a actually. Lot. A lot. So one thing that Jews do that I didn't really realize till, you know, after I met my wife is that they really kind of embrace mortality oh, a lot. Oh, I mean, I embrace mortality, but explain it to me. I want well, to hear like, from your point of view. Well, like in Mexican culture, we talk about death a lot. Yeah. And we don't talk about death as like a terrible thing. We talk about it as just part of life. And in fact, that's why we celebrate it. You know, the other yeah. los muertos. We always talk about our relatives. Every Mexican household has photos of their relatives that are passed Everyone. away. And you speak to them, you speak about them like they're still here. And it's kind of like that respect because, you know, in our minds, they are still here. And in Jewish culture, when I've gone there is every, um, every Shabbat service is they mention people who have passed, you know, like, has anyone lost anyone? And then yeah. people kind of just say it out loud in a room full of people. Like you're talking about people, you know, I've, I've seen grown men break down and be like, I just lost my wife this week. Mm -hmm. And everyone kind of is there in that moment and they just embrace it. And it's like, wow, like this is probably the first time this guy's probably said that out loud. And he said it in a room full of people that are just there to love him and yeah. support him. And that's really where it connected with me. I'm like, cause that's what we do in Latin culture. You know, um, one of my cousins, you know, she uh, unfortunately passed away, you know, very young, she was 32. And I just remember going to the funeral. It was such a gut-wrenching funeral because it's somebody so young and it was so tragic and it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And But I just remember, like, we're in the funeral, we're in Juarez, and then within five minutes of the burial, we're all cracking jokes and laughing together. And it's all in fun and it's positive. And it's like, that's kind of that that grieving as a group. Yeah, and then that's one thing I've I've learned that you know in Jewish culture they do that as well. And it, it, it's funny you mention that because we have um, you know the idea in, in Mexican culture for like ofrendas like the other mm -hmm. so we don't do that because we're Jewish. But what we do is every Friday night we light Shabbat candles, and what my grandmother on my mom's side does is she lights one for every person that has passed, and we say leilunishmat, which means like may may your soul go upwards. So every Friday she's lighting on their behalf, lighting one candle for each. So when she lights, there's like sixteen candles. I can show you a picture of 20 candles it, it depends on the week for her but it's one of those things that when i think of ofrendas it's such like a, a foreign concept to me but it's really not you know lighting right. candles to honor the dead 
my grandma does that every week. Right. So it's 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 funny how, you know, there's certain things that, yeah, we, we do have in common in those things. And I yes. never thought about the mortality side of it. But oh, yeah, yeah, that that was one thing where I was like, you grieve as a group. Yeah, we do. We and have a whole shiva. Exactly. There's a movie you should see, by the way. Um, I'm going to put a plug. I don't I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's essentially about a Jewish Mexican shiva. And like there are Jews living in Polanco. And like there's like the cousin that married the non-Jew and the cousin that got super religious and moved to Israel. And like suddenly everyone's back together and like all these funny things start going down. It's a great comedy um we watched it during covid for some reason i don't know why we watched it during COVID. that's a good because we were watch. just preparing you know is this a is this a, a mexican production it's a mexican production it's it's older i think it came out in like the the early 2000s there was actually just a mexican jewish film festival here in new york at the tribeca synagogue and it's one of the shows that they 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 showed it opening night i had already seen it with my family but it was just one of those things that really just shows you jewish mexican culture it's like this ashkenazi jewish family that grew up in mexico and they're having this shiva and it turns out like the, the ex-husband had an affair with this like Jewish non-Jewish Mexican actress and she ends up coming to the Shiva and everyone's <laughs> at the Shiva and it's just like this it's crazy and then one of them gets like arrested for tax fraud like there's just a lot of things going on and you're, just sitting there and you're like oh like, that's my <laughs> uncle yeah <laughs> this is exactly what my family Shiva is like you know? so it's it's interesting and and that actually takes us to the spill the tea segment of this show yes so spill the tea segment um my favorite thing to talk about is superstitions I love superstitions mm. Um, because I feel like they really show you what the culture has its mind on all the time. So I was telling you earlier, um, I'm wearing this blue thing on my necklace, um, which I have no idea where it came from, but it's a superstition against the evil eye. So now the Jewish culture has this evil eye idea, right? That like everyone's <laughs> putting the evil eye on you. And you hear that from like also in Mexican culture, sometimes te ponen el ojo, like you, you hear it, but I never understood the blue rock situation. And mm. it turns out that I'm pretty sure this is a Middle East thing. Cause I always try to tease out, is this a Jewish thing? Is this a Mexican thing? Is this a Middle Eastern thing? Cause I'm all those things. Things. pretty sure it's a middle eastern thing so most of the superstitions around my family revolve around the evil eye and marriage and that's what's mm. on the mind of my culture but what <laughs> is your favorite superstition so one thing um that my mom would always talk about right and this is the one thing like i don't know if this is all mexican mothers i think it is because uh they're all a little crazy but my mom used to do this superstition where she told us if we don't behave or if after she passes she will come back and she used to say in Spanish, te voy a jalar los pies oh. when you sleep. So it's like this threatening beyond yeah. the grave, <laughs> which I'm like, that's the best superstition because think about it. Like if my mom dies, right, she ha she can know the wonders of the world. Mm -hmm. She can explore the universe. She can see why we're here, why humanity's here. But she's going to say F all that. I'm going to go and torture my sons if they don't behave, which I think is hilarious. I right? love that. That's also the most Mexican mom thing I've ever heard. And you know yeah. why it also works? Because the thing is that it doesn't like come true. Like the threat doesn't actually, you know, vest until after her death, which means that yes. her whole entire life you have to behave. Exactly. Like, all of it. Like it just like it covers it. It's not like, oh, or, uh, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, Z that, that at some point as an adult you'll feel. No, no, no. This is like until her last day yeah you're living under threat and she's making a promise that like it's like a villain you know what i mean yeah. like i will still see you in the afterlife yeah. you know like that's what she so she'd be like Te voy a jalar los pies cuando estás dormido. meaning like if you're sleeping comfortably and you feel something tugging you that's gonna be my mom yeah, coming mom. to torture me you're gonna have to wake up and be like oh fuck like, so that was like a together. constant threat and uh that's that's one of my favorite things it's always stuck with me and it's so funny because my mom would just throw out these veil threats because, you know, she raised four boys. Yeah. So it's like, what is she going to be on top of all of them? Like, it's tough. So she had to really, like, stigmatize certain things. So much so that my brother told me the other day that, you know, he was like, 
doing this thing and he heard my mom yelling him you know like and he would like turn around it's like she wasn't even there wow so it's like she has <laughs> it's like the multiverse of madness but with a mexican mom i want to achieve that level i don't have kids yet but i'm gonna get there your, your mom and i are gonna have a dog i'm gonna be like so how do you instill the fear <laughs> oh yeah no she's she's very good at it yeah it's it's amazing so yeah well so you know when my mom passes i'll be very sad but i know she'll at least you know be able to haunt me yeah. which is nice oh, see like we said like it's like they're still there we're exactly it's like they're still there <laughs> so you know from superstition we moved to happy so what is your favorite holiday or tradition okay so i've really thought about this mm. right because one thing is you know with jewish culture you get to embrace a lot of the holidays oh, and stuff to. on that side but with the mexican culture it's like we have stuff that are just more traditions and they're kind of unnamed holidays so one of my favorite things especially growing up as a tejano mexicano is something they call la carne asada yeah, right which you know, that's, and that's, I'm, I'm vegan. So for me oh, to say no. that, yeah, it's more about <laughs> I the, so I don't excited. eat the, I don't eat the meat. You know, I'll do the chips and guac and all that, you know, guacamole. I've, I already know Mexicans are already yelling at me. Well, why would you say guac? You know, but screw you, you know? Um, so yeah, but what I love about it is that everyone just sets a day aside to basically get the family together, get all the neighbors together Everyone is just there just to have a good time. It's not about a birthday. It's not about a celebration. It's literally just an entire event for all of us just to forget about our BS. You'll bring up the BS after a few, you know, tequilas and stuff, but it's okay because we're all in it together, right? And it goes from sunup all the way to sundown till the next morning. Yeah. And that's the one thing I love is that when Mexican party it's going to be a 24-hour event. Yep. I mean, it's an all-day yep. thing. Like, you can't just go in, hang out for an hour, and then be like, oh, I got another thing. No, you're okay. there. And you get yelled at. You get chastised. Like, ah, ya se va Juan. Dile que va. You know? And people will literally, like, just be like, you can't leave. Yeah. And that's why I leave. It's like you're forced to just sit there and enjoy the time, which, you know, my wife, you know, um, She's, you know, comes from an American Jewish family. So they lean a lot into the Americanism stuff. And that's the one thing. It's like, I remember I went to a, a party at her at her father's house. And it's 11 o'clock at night and people are packing up ready to yep. go. And I'm like, what, what was so going on? We just started. started. Yeah. So it's, it's funny you bring this up because, number one, my Shabbat dinner is at my house and usually at 2 a.m. Like, usually yes. we sit down for Shabbat dinner at 8 p.m. Like, I, I used to have a boyfriend that wasn't really a Shabbat dude. And, you know, he'd be in New York and I'd be like, oh, like, we're sitting down for dinner. Talk to you later. And then I wouldn't text him until 2 a.m. And he's like, hey, like, what what happened? And I was like, no, like, we had dinner. Like, <laughs> that's what happened. And yes. My brother just got married a couple of weeks ago. And um, I had to explain to the Americans that were flying into Mexico. Like, I had to really prep them for this. For, yeah. for months, we were prepping them. We're like, understand the wedding ends at breakfast understand the wedding ends at breakfast. It's such a shame that here in the U.S. you spend hundreds of, I don't even know how much money, I haven't gotten married, so thank God. Um, I don't know how you much money we spend. tens of thousands of dollars. Tens of thousands of dollars on a wedding that's going to start at like, what, 7 p.m., 6 p.m., and then it's going to end at 11.30. They're going to be sleeping. At 11.30, midnight, oh. they're sleeping because the venue ends, that's it. It's, it's midnight. And it's a shame how much money you spend for such an important night where people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have a wedding or I have this event, I have that event, and then they're just with you for three, four hours. No, 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 no. In Mexico, like, we go all night. Like, you come to the yes. wedding, and we do the chupa because we're Jewish, right? So we do the chupa. <laughs> And then afterwards, we have like the reception and all these things, but you're not leaving until breakfast. And the Americans actually stayed. Like they killed it. Like they're like, oh, chilaquiles, chilaquiles. And we're like, yes, welcome to my culture. There you go. And yeah. Like, 
But yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. The carne asada, like that's the mentality. It's going to end the next day. And that's that's what creates the warmness in Mexico. And that's one thing. My wife, she loves Mexico now. Like mm. she wants she wants us to buy a house in Mexico. I I love Mexico because everyone you go every as soon as you land there, you feel the temperature of the country. Like everybody's just so much warmer. It's like that filter they show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's like everyone like you can um, you get into your taxi and the cab drivers telling you jokes yeah. right away and it's like hey hermano even though our language is very loving hermano como estas blah 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 like see si, i nos vemos que tenga buen día like have a blessed day like yeah. that's normal speak you know whereas over here it's like hello hi um you know no, take care adela uber exactly yeah it? yeah you get into your uber no one says it they don't say hey how's your day yeah. going blah 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 like and it's just, uh, you know, the American culture. And that's one thing my parents always instilled in me is like, I want you guys to live in the United States, but think and feel and treat everyone like a Mexican. Yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense why you guys went to Texas, too, because there you go. Southern hospitality. Yes. It's yeah, like very the, much so. It, it might not be as warm as Mexico when it comes to that, but at least it's not New York or L.A. Yeah. No, that's very true. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, in Texas, too, it's a lot of that, you know, People drive by each other. They they wave at each other. Your neighbors come out. You wave at them. Here, it's like, you know, if somebody waves at you and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's your problem, man? You got eye problems? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Or like you keep your head down because you're a girl in New York and you're not supposed to make eye contact. That is true. Yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, the, I, this only works if you're a guy. If I, yeah, no, <laughs> girls. If, if, if you're a girl and you're saying hi to everyone, I, that's not going to end well. So. <laughs> so the last thing I want to ask you is, um, you know, what is a word or phrase that doesn't quite have an English equivalent? Oh my God. So one of my favorite ones. In, and this is something that my dad used to yell at me all the time, mm. is ponte las pilas. Ponte las pilas. Oh, I was just talking about this. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing that I just remember as a kid, and it doesn't translate well to English at all, which means put your batteries on. Put your batteries on. Basically. Ponte las pilas. Uh-huh. Which in, in Spanish, it's very clear cut. Like, ponte las pilas means, like, get your shit together, right? Mm. But it's done in such a more like nuanced way. And I love that the fact that like pilas is just literally like if you're a, a, a toy and just, throw, you know, you've yeah. dropped your batteries and you put them back in. So that to me just doesn't have an English equivalent. Like you can't tell someone, hey, man, put your batteries on. People are like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? What is this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I I agree. And I was actually I was just talking about that with someone. I was like, yeah, you know, like you just like you know gotta get on it. Like you know when you're on on mode. I just kept saying, you know when you're on on mode, and they're like, yeah, 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 I know on mode. I'm like, yeah, yeah, ponte las pilas. Like that's on. <laughs> but in, in English, you have to say, you know, like when you're on on mode instead of just saying ponte las pilas. So I agree. That's a great one. I forgot it existed. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. And there you go, Brian Torres Day. Thank you for joining us on Hyphenated. And thank you for ponerte las pilas, getting us legalized. And everyone check out his new film. Thank you so much.